Well, today, today we are continuing our Christmas at the Movies series. And many of you guessed online, and as, as our announcement team mentioned earlier, we had about 15 people get the right answer this week. Isn't that great? Isn't that fun? And uh, so our Christmas movie this week, if you didn't check it out, uh, is the wonderful classic Elf. Oh, so man, Elf is just such a fun one and so many quotable lines and, and uh, so many good things. So we, like I said, we had about 15 winners this week. So we're going to draw some names because it was hard to just choose somebody. Uh, let's see. Keziah, can I have your help up here? Just so we can make this fair. All right. You just go ahead. Draw whatever name you feel like. All right. And our winner is? You got to be kidding me. Keziah Apple. No joke. No joke. Congratulations, Keziah. That was totally legal. Everybody's going to say you cheated now. Now you got to live with that. But we've got this special present. We got Buddy the Elf Socks. So that way they can keep you warm all day. Give it up for Keziah. Look at that. That is funny. What are the odds? About 1 in 15. That, those are the odds. Well, today we get to talk about Elf, but we also have a special guest speaker with us. And I'm going to invite him up in just a minute, but Pastor Daniel Day. And uh, if you have not met Pastor Daniel and his wife Sarah and his kids MJ and Johnny, uh, this is a, an incredible family. They've been with us since about uh, September, August in there. They are the new uh uh, professors at Trinity Bible College up in Ellendale, uh, North Dakota. And uh, Pastor Daniel has been in ministry for the last 17 years. They started out in youth ministry. They planted a church in, in Delaware, and they just recently came from Florida. So they're loving the winter now. And, and this is some great stuff. They planted, or they were pastors down in Florida, and now they're uh, professors up at Trinity Bible College. Daniel's almost finished up with that Ph.D. in organizational leadership, so I'm sure he's going to be really happy come May and all of those different things. It is going to be great, but this is a great family if you haven't met him yet. Pastor Daniel, would you come? Would you welcome uh, Pastor Daniel as he comes and brings the word this morning? Amen. Good morning, church. Uh, I want to just say a few things before we begin. Uh, first of all, we have, and I say we because this is our family's home church, we have a wonderful lead pastor in Pastor Ben, do we not? <laughs> pastor Ben is uh, a consummate uh, preacher of the gospel. He does not shy away from teaching us the full counsel of the word of God even when sometimes uh, the word brings us to passages that are sometimes difficult to take because they're just so truthful and so real, I appreciate a pastor who gives us a well-balanced diet of the word of God. Can you say amen? Not only does he give us the good counsel of the word of God, he does it in a very skillful and enjoyable way. And I am just so grateful to him, to his family, to his dear wife, his children, and their leadership, and one more time, can we show our appreciation to them? I want to thank Pastor Joni for uh, making our family feel welcome. We do have a connection there as you grew up on the mission field in Latin America, and my wife is also an MK to Latin America, and you guys have been able to 
uh, connect on that level. You have made us feel so welcome. We appreciate you. Can we show our appreciation to Pastor Joni as well? And I want to acknowledge Pastor Sterling, who is serving my two children and all of our teenagers so well. He understands how we feel coming up from the South. And uh, I have to say, the only time I ever saw white Christmas trees were the artificial ones at Walmart. And I must say, the real thing is far more beautiful. Wouldn't you agree, Pastor Sterling? It is absolutely gorgeous to see. Uh, we woke up this morning, looked outside, and it was just as though every tree and every bush had blossomed with snow and ice. And I have to say, it is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, we've lived a few different places in our marriage and in our ministry lifetime. Some places cold, some places warm. And I found that every single place has its own unique beauty and charm. And uh, this part of the, of the um, Great Plains in America uh, certainly has its own beauty and charm. The panoramic sunsets and sunrises uh, are absolutely breathtaking. And so thank you, Pastor Sterling, for serving our children and uh, ministering to them. And I also want to say thank you to you, our home church here at AFA. Uh, if it were not for this congregation, our transition from Florida would have been far more difficult. But I uh, told my people uh, when I was a lead pastor how important it was to be a part of a local church. And uh, we have uh, tried to live that out by getting plugged in here as quickly as possible and your friendship and kindness and welcoming us into this congregation has been uh, literally the lifeblood uh, to help us make this transition from a completely different culture and uh, starting a completely different life and a completely different career. There's a whole lot of new going on in our family. Uh, right now, uh, where we lived in Florida, it's about 85 degrees and sunny. We lived about five minutes from the bay. And uh, you say, well, why did you leave? Uh, well, we left to come and join the team at Trinity Bible College, and uh, I want to acknowledge all of our TBC family uh, that are here today, any of my students, and obviously we were blessed by the singing and the percussion of two uh, doctors, Duran, both doctors over here. We appreciated your ministry today. Uh, any TBC family, just wave at us, any students or professors or those working at TBC all over the place, can we give them a big round of applause as well? We are delighted to have the opportunity today to minister with you. But the person that's here today that is the most important that we must all uh, give honor to and show appreciation to is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, where two or three are gathered together in his name. He is there in the midst. And I wonder if you would join me while you're comfortably seated there in your pew. Would you lift your hands up to our Lord and Savior? And let's just give him 10 seconds of our best praise. Father, we love you today. We worship you today. And we ask for your presence to descend in this place in a way like never before. God, awaken our hearts, our minds, our spirits, our very strength to know you more, to draw closer to to you. Father, may we worship you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, with complete abandon, without worrying about what anyone would say, Lord God, because you gave us your all. It is our reasonable act of worship to give you back our all. And we say it together, a hearty amen in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you draw your attention to the screen behind me as we kick off today's message entitled, A Critical Christmas.
Are you enjoying the view? You are very good at decorating that tree. Why are you messing with me? Did Krumpa put you up to this? I'm not messing with you. It's just nice to meet another human who shares my affinity for elf culture. I'm just trying to get through the holiday. Get through? Christmas is the greatest day in the whole wide world! Please stop talking to me. Uh-oh. Sounds like someone needs to sing a Christmas carol. Go away. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Thanks, but I don't sing. Well, it's easy. It's just like talking, except louder and longer, and you move your voice up and down. I can sing, but I just choose not to sing, especially in front of other people. Well, if you sing alone, you can sing in front of other people. There's no difference. Actually, there's a big difference. No, th no there isn't. Wait. I'm singing. I'm in a store, and I'm singing. I'm in a store, and I'm singing. Hey! There's no singing in the North Pole. Yes, there is. No, it's not. We sing all the time. No, it's not. Especially when we make toys. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Elf is the quintessential example of someone who is an adult merged with the mentality of a child. He simply does not care. He is going to have a good time. I wonder what our lives would be like if we simply lived absent of the care of critics. And that's what I would like to briefly discuss with you today. Can we overcome the inner voice of a critic? Because sometimes we are our own worst enemies. Can we overcome the voice of outside critics that seem to try and dampen our joy, especially at this time of year? Many people who are unhappy and distracted by the cares of this world they are bothered by your joy, and they would rather you be as unhappy as they, and therefore they will level criticism your direction. If you go into any children's classroom, any kindergarten classroom in America, and ask them, how many of you can dance? How many of you can sing? Almost the entire class will joyfully raise their hands. Notice what we did not ask. We did not ask, how many of you can sing so well that someone would buy your album other than family? We did not ask, how many of you can sing so well that you would win American Idol or The Voice? We did not ask, how many of you can sing so well that you can make your living singing on a stage? No, we simply asked, how many of you can sing? And a child would joyfully raise their hand and begin singing, even if it hurts our ears. We simply ask, can you sing? Here in just a little bit, uh, we will be blessed by someone who can sing beautifully. And that is my wife, Sarah. She and I have been married for 17 years, uh, almost 18 years. We have two amazing children. My daughter, Michaela, some of you know her as MJ. She's volunteering in the nursery this morning, and my son is here on the front row next to my wife. Johnny, could you wave at us right there wearing an amazing Christmas sweater? Um, but it, in just a moment, my wife will come, and, and she will sing at the end of the message and bless you with song. And, and if you were to ask her, can you sing, she would say yes, because she can. But really and truly, all of us can sing. 
Not all of us could make their living singing, but all of us can sing. And part of the reason why many of us do not sing is simply because of the words that have been spoken to us at one point or another. Either it's the words coming to us from the outside or the inside voice that says, you should be quiet. There is another scene in Elf. We're not going to show it today. But towards the end, there is a moment where the son notices that his father is only lip-syncing the words. He's not actually singing out loud. He doesn't want people to hear his voice. And it's not until he actually opens his mouth and begins to sing that wonderful things begin to happen. I wonder if Jesus may have been alluding to something of this nature when he said, only those who come to me like a little child may enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, I grew up in Middle Tennessee. That's my home state, not too far from Music City, USA, Nashville, Tennessee. It's the quickest place for a professional musician to starve. You never enter a music store in Nashville with pride because you need to know that the person pumping your gas at the gas station is a Juilliard graduate and can probably sing better and play better than you. It's amazing to find the people who have actually made it, quote unquote, they made it in a town like that and actually get paid to play music. So growing up in that kind of a culture, I wanted to be the next Stephen Curtis Chapman. I wanted to be the next Chris Tomlin. I wanted to lead the world in worship and create albums. And so I began to play guitar and I began to lead worship in youth group. And I eventually made my way to the point where I was leading worship in a small Assemblies of God church in a little hamlet called Smart, Tennessee, spelled S-M-A-R-T-T. I assume that that was someone's last name, but I never asked. But leading worship in a very small Assemblies of God church, you could probably fit the whole church in this section right here. And to a few, I was a blessing. And a few well-meaning folks encouraged me to begin writing music, and so I did. And on the radio, the, I don't know if it was K-Love or Way FM or something like that, uh, I heard about a singing competition in Nashville, competition in Nashville for Christian music artists, up-and-coming Christian music artists where you could come and sing. And I thought, I should do that. How many of you know where this is headed? Notice I'm preaching today and not singing. There's a reason for that. Critics had their way. And so I drove to Nashville, came prepared with a pre-recorded CD of a demo that I had written, let someone listen to the demo, they gave me their criticisms, and then I got to actually sing live in front of 50 professional Nashville musicians. I was so excited to receive their critique forms until I started to read them. Phrases such as, bless your heart. I really appreciate your spirit. You have such a sweet demeanor. My personal favorite, and I quote, 
I can see how you would make a great local worship singer in a local church somewhere. Nashville translation, don't give up your day job. I remember not soon after that, I was at a Tuesday night prayer meeting at the same church that I was the worship leader. Keep in mind, I'm the worship leader at the church. I'm in the altar pouring out my heart before God. God, I want to go to the ends of the earth. I want to lead worship in front of thousands. And finally, my pastor comes up to me, puts his arm around me, and he says, Daniel, I know that you really want to sing, but I think God's called you to preach. Et tu, Brute? And so I am here today before you preaching and not singing, and you have much to be thankful for. You see, there will always be that person in your life who will level a criticism your direction. The very moment you begin to get passionate about God and, and begin to fall more and more in love with his word and, and to begin to sense and long for his presence and the moment you begin to open your mouth and begin to sing and, and make jovial noise towards the Lord, there's going to be somebody, it might be from the outside or the inside, who tries to say, hey, there's no singing in the North Pole. And I hope we will take the lesson today from Buddy the Elf and find that inner person who simply does not care and we will shout back, yes, there is. There are so many reasons for us to be excited today. Oh, yes, I know that the world seems like it's just going off the deep end, and in many respects it has. And the Bible warns us that when we see wars and rumors of wars and, and a horrible weather in diverse places, and when we see people turning against each other, that these are just the beginnings of birth pains, the Bible says, that, that this is just the start of it. Things are going to get worse, but guess what? That just means we're one step closer to the second coming of our Lord. The first time came quietly in a manger, but someday, very, very soon, he's rolling back the scroll of the sky, and he's going to come back as conquering king of kings and lord of lords. And if you're looking forward to that day, somebody shout a big amen. amen. Friends, we have reason to be excited today. And if someone comes by and says, oh, there's no reason to praise God. Look at the economy. There's no reason to praise God. Look at what Putin's doing over in Russia. There's no reason to praise God. Look at all the slavery and atrocity and the hunger and the pain and the needless want and hunger going on around the world. There's no reason to praise God. I want to shout back at my critic today and say, yes, there is. Because no matter what this world says, my God is is still good my God is still worthy of worship no matter my circumstance and so I want to take a moment to briefly bring us to 2nd Samuel chapter 6 we're going to be looking today at verses 14 to 23 I'd like to help us identify a few characteristics of a critic though some of you might say it wouldn't be hard to find one or no one when you see one, but I think there might be some unique lessons we can draw from King David in 2 Samuel 6, verses 14 to 23. David was blindsided by a close critic. 
someone who should have been there to support him, someone who should have been there to love him, someone who should have been there to participate in the honor of worshiping and celebrating the manifest presence of God, but rather than joining in, this person stood from afar and criticized. This person was bitter. This person was angry. This person was malicious in her heart. She had experienced travesties. She had seen the demotion of her family. She was unhappy, and she was most unhappy at the fact that David was happy. And so today, let's go to the word, the scriptures, beginning in verse 14 of 2 Samuel 6, looking at the moment when David joyfully worshipped before the Lord as the ark of God's presence began to make its way back into the city of David. He praised God with abandon. He did not care what anyone thought of him. And then, just as he was about to bless his own household, here comes a critic. Let me say this as we begin. Don't be surprised if the enemy, Satan, blindsides you with a criticism at the very moment you begin to become passionate for Jesus. He seeks to snuff out that seed of faith as quickly as possible. And in our culture especially, one of the fastest ways he does this is through harsh criticism. Today it is my hope that through the lessons we glean from this passage that we would learn to not listen to that critical spirit. Verse 14 says this, Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod, that is a full gown, a white linen ephod, something that a lowly Levite serving in the temple would have worn, something that would have covered his body in a very humble way. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. How many of you think this was a quiet moment? I love quiet moments where we can reflect upon the Lord and at the same time, I love those moments where we unashamedly and excitedly remember that we have reason to celebrate. Both are absolutely biblical and both are necessary at different times in our life. Sometimes the Lord wants us to be still and know that he is God and to be more reflective and to meditate upon his word and to allow some times of silence so we can listen. And other times, it is completely and wonderfully appropriate for us to celebrate God and all that he has accomplished through his son on the cross. And that he did not remain in the grave, but he rose from the dead just as he said he would. He ascended into heaven and gave us the deposit guarantee, the Holy Spirit. We have reason to get loud. And both are okay. David is happy. He's celebrating. He doesn't care who knows it. 
Now the ark of the Lord came into the city, verse 16, and Michal, Saul's daughter, looked down through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him. That word there is to disdain. It means to hate, to loathe. There was nothing about him that she wanted any longer. This is a far cry from how their marriage started. You see, Michal was the, the prize that Saul made known to the group of men. If any of you will go out and fight the giant Goliath, if you win, you will receive these awards and you will be my son-in-law. I will give you Michal, my daughter. And so David said, hey, I like this. This is good. I'll take him on. And he goes out there. He defeats the giant. And then Saul says, well, there's going to be some more you've got to do. And I'll let you read that story. It's a little bit gruesome to share in a room full with multi-generations. But let's just say David earned the title. He was a bloody man for a reason. And Saul said, go out and kill some Philistines. I'll take 100. David says, I'll give you 200. And so he goes out there and he defeats the Philistines. He defeats the giant, gets to marry Michael, and Michael loves him. As a matter of fact, David would not be alive in this moment if it weren't for her saving his life. And then after Saul annuls the marriage and makes her to marry another man, something happens. And David then begins his long path to the kingship. He finally becomes king and he wants Michael back. He tells a man named Abner, go and get my first wife. Michael, and he annuls that marriage and takes her back into his home, and she's not happy. She probably feels used. She probably feels abused. She probably feels like a pawn in somebody else's game. She has seen the demotion of her family go from king to nothing. Her brother and her father were murdered on a hillside. She is now being moved back into the palace that's no longer in her household's name, but in the name of David. She is bitter because her life experience has not been good. And that is the typical diagnosis you would see in the life of a person who has a critical spirit. Show me a person who always points out the faults in other people, and I will show you someone who has had a very difficult life. Someone who has likely gone through some hardship, and they want everybody around them to be just as desperate and depressed as they. And so she looks down from her window from a distance. She begins to despise David. Verse 17, so they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had built for it. And then David begins to worship by offering burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Why do we give all these wonderful gifts and bless the reservation? We give because we've received 
When you are a person who lives in the presence of God, you want to bless other people. Jesus said, freely you've received, freely we shall give. Greater love has no man than this than to give, than to lay down his life for a friend. For our God gave his one and only begotten son. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a giver. And it is a joy to give. You're in love with Jesus. You're in love, you're in love, and you don't care who knows it. You want everybody to know it. And so you begin to bless. And David is worshiping. He's in the presence of God. And literally all the multitude of Israel is blessed with a loaf of bread, some cakes, and some wonderful food, a piece of meat. I mean, it is a barbecue for the whole of Israel. And then in verse 20 it says, and then David returned with a purpose to bless his household. So he's blessed all the other households of Israel, and he's like, man, I can't wait. I've been in the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant is back where it should be. We've been experiencing his presence. The Bible said he's the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim right there above the Ark. It wasn't just a symbol of God's presence. They saw the manifest Shekinah glory of God dwelling between the cherubim. This is why they were so excited. God had returned into their camp. They were celebrating his presence. And out of that, David wants to give and give and give, and he wants to bless his household. And as he opens the front door to his home, rather than being joyfully greeted, he is blindsided by a critic, a hurt person. Then David returned, verse 20, to bless his household, and Michael the daughter of Saul came out to meet David and said, sarcasm intended here, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Some commentators, I think, wrongly try to say that David danced naked before the Lord, I don't think that's accurate. What I think is more accurate and I think fits more uh, nicely into the storyline is that when the Bible tells us he wore a white linen ephod, uh, same as a lowly Levite serving in the temple, and, and she is accusing him of uncovering himself in the eyes of the maiden's servants, in other words, the servants of the servants, uh, there is something going on here that causes his wife to despise him, and that is he has taken off that which identified him as royalty and put on something that would have been incredibly humble, the same clothes that a servant's servant would wear. I think this is a beautiful example of what one day you and I will do in the presence of God in heaven. The Bible says we will cast our crowns before the Lord. How could we wear a crown in the presence of the King of Kings? How could we show off our trophies and our crowns? And how could we wear our royal garbs in the presence of King Jesus and so David says, how could I wear my royal garments? God is here. He is king over Jerusalem. And so he humbled himself 
and became like one of the servants of the servants. Jesus said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you must do what? Serve. Paul the apostle takes it to another level, and he actually says in the original Greek meaning galley slave, or one who rows the oars in the belly of a boat. The only people who rowed the oars in the belly of a boat were the criminals and the outcasts and the slaves, the people that no one cared about, the people that were not connected to any family or anything good, and no one would mind if they died. And so Paul the Apostle took the lesson of Jesus to a whole other level, and he said, if we want to be great, those who are called into the kingdom's work will be like galley slaves. We will be the lowest of the low. King David here is in the presence of God, the manifest Shekinah glory of God. And he says, looks at his crown, I can't wear this. He looks at his robe, I can't wear this. Give me a priestly garment so I can dance before Jesus. So I can dance before God. And so his wife is embarrassed that the king of Israel would lower himself and humble himself in the sight of everyone and basically identify with commoners. How glorious was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself, took off his royal garment in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows who shamelessly uncovers himself as though someone who did not care. You're royalty, David. You should have kept your royal robes on. You should keep your status. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all your house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel, Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for these maidservants of whom you've spoken, by them I will be held in honor. In other words, the people who should have been holding David in honor were not. And the people who were of a lowly estate were Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own household and among his own relatives. Jesus would have known what it felt like to be criticized by his own brothers and sisters. And even, it seems, there were moments when Mary said, oh, we we need to go do a family intervention and rescue Jesus out of this. He must have gone off track somewhere. Jesus would have known the sting of criticism Though it's not there explicitly, it is there implicitly that the holy family would have known the sting of criticism. That a young girl betrothed to a man who they had not yet consummated their relationship found herself to be three months pregnant after going away for a little while to visit her cousin. And Joseph chose to remain with her Joseph chose to honor God's call upon his life, even though culture would have criticized his walking by faith. 
Those who follow Christ are in and among a great number of people who know what it's like to be criticized. Because a world away from God cannot understand why you would follow him by faith. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. And those who believe in him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently and unashamedly and with abandon seek him. Therefore, instead of receiving blessing, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had barrenness. It says in verse 23, she had no children to the day of her death. A few quick lessons and observations. Critics, number one, critics tend to be people who are familiar with us. This last Thanksgiving, my family had the opportunity to go to Tennessee for a week and visit family. We were also there to celebrate the homegoing of my wife's grandmother who was 93, almost 94 years old. And uh, she passed away, and so all the family was gathering to celebrate her life. It was a wonderful time of reconnecting with dozens and dozens and dozens of family members. Nothing brings the family together like Thanksgiving, and when you couple that with the matriarch going to heaven, everybody came out of them hills to find a way to honor grandmama. I, I, don't, I can't tell you how many, how many, I mean, she had six kids, help me out here, six kids, like 18 grands. 60, I mean, 18 grands and how many? Like 50 some odd great grandchildren. I mean, it was a madhouse. It was a lot of fun. But while we were there, I stayed in my house, at my mom and dad's house, and they have pictures. You know, you go back home, you visit family, you, you break out the albums, you look at old family photos, and of course, mom has pictures of me and Sarah when we were first dating almost 20 years ago, and then some, some newlywed photos, and I forget which of my children noticed uh, a newlywed photo. This is over 17 years ago, people, and, and, and my, well, one of my kids say, uh, Dad, uh, Mom looks the same, but you don't. <laughs> Why? cut me deep Shrek to quote another movie uh, but you know sometimes your harshest critics can be the people who are closest to you the people you love the most can hurt the most but I do concur my wife is beautiful critics can be people who know us well but just because they know us well doesn't mean they understand what's going on, which brings me to the second observation. Critics tend to condescend and watch from afar. The Bible says that Michael looked down and watched from her window. She was watching the whole of Israel enter into the presence of God, joyfully and celebrating. They're eating, they're feasting, they're singing, they're dancing, they're, they're, they're having a party in the presence of God, which, by the way, you look up the word praise, it means party. I think heaven's going to be a lot of fun. And, and here they are. She's watching, looking down, condescending, judging from afar. And she's angry that her husband is no longer wearing that which identifies him as royal, but rather identifies him as common. 
David had humbled himself before the Lord, worshiped before the Lord, loved being in his presence, and the critic is not anywhere close. She's related, but she's not close to the situation. I remember visiting a very powerful revival in the mid-90s, and this revival uh, began to uh, get some national and international uh, press. And what what really uh, burns, so to speak, what really hurts is some of the harshest critics were those within the church world. And I found that Anytime I come across people who still to this day criticize this particular revival, the first question I ask them, I'll say, did you ever go? They'll say, no. So I went three times. And all three times, God did something amazing in my life. Some of the most dramatic and powerful and experiential moments of the Holy Spirit were in those days at that particular revival. And I find that those who watch from afar and criticize from afar judge harshly. Which brings me to the third observation. That causes them to not have your best interest at heart. Let me ask, why do we care so much about what people think of us? Just a question, but we all do. I love that scene when Elf is like, oh, there's no difference. You just move your voice up and down, and you do it in front of people. Who cares? That's what a child would say. Children who are young, they don't care what people think. They just want to have fun. They just want to enjoy life. They're not aware of all the turmoil and heaviness of the world. They just want to sing. And if you tell them to sing louder, they'll sing louder. And if you tell them to sing a little bit louder, they'll get a little bit louder. But it seems like the older we get, the the childlikeness begins to wane. And I would hope that today something would reawaken inside each of us and we would return to that first moment, that first love, when we recognize that God translated us from darkness to light, from death to life, when we would recognize that we were once children uh, heading uh, to an eternity without Jesus and now we're on our way to an eternal reward. Friends, there is reason to praise and celebrate. But oftentimes we allow the voices of those who don't even have our best interest at heart to silence our praise. People who don't even like us to make us quiet. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you're somewhere, maybe you're at the store or at the mall or at some place and you hear somebody use the Lord's name in vain and man, you want to say something, but you don't. I remember I had a mentor uh, when we were in youth ministry. He was an older guy, but still in youth ministry, still very lively and excited and in love with Jesus. And he was in the, the, the line there at Walmart checking out for his groceries, and somebody used the Lord's name in vain. And the second he heard somebody say the Lord's name in vain, he said, hey, that's my best friend. And he just started praising God right there in the, in the aisle way, and it made the other guy feel really uncomfortable. And he said, well, hey. You made me feel uncomfortable. You used my Lord's name as a cuss word. I praise that name. And so anytime, he said, anytime he would hear somebody say the Lord's name in vain, he would just start praising Jesus. You know, demons don't like the presence of God. And if you ever start to feel a little bit uncomfortable, you start to feel like maybe somebody has brought this, this, 
this heaviness into the room, I want you to know, loud or, 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 or quiet, whatever. You praise God. God inhabits the praises of his people and demons run. I remember listening to an old missionary give a sermon, and he said, I never had to cast out a demon my whole missionary career. He said if he ever came across somebody who was demonized or demon-possessed, he would just start praising God, and demons would leave because demons don't want to be in the presence of Jesus. Friends, let me tell you something. If you're a worshiper with abandon, and you don't care what anybody thinks about it, if you're unashamed of Jesus, he'll be unashamed of you. His presence comes in the room, and darkness flees. Shadows cannot stay in the presence of light. Why would we listen to someone who doesn't even like us? Observation four, critics cannot see what's really happening. She looked down from afar. She begins to completely misjudge David. She, she thinks that what he is doing is vulgar. To take off the royal robes that would identify his position in, and authority in society and to identify with the common. It's vulgar in her eyes, but in the eyes of God, God sees humility and God can always use a humble person. Humility comes before exaltation. This was something that David knew, but she did not. Critics, lastly, miss out on being blessed. David had in mind to bless his household. David, I mean, I can just see him. He's bringing the groceries. He's, he's bringing the meat. He's bringing the bread. He's bringing the cakes. He's, he's, he's gotten the, the sweet tea and Mountain Dew, and he's, he's got the bags of groceries. He pulls in. He opens the door. He's like, hey, guys, guess what happened to... Critics miss out on the blessing that was intended for them. When critics misjudge, when critics have the, the evil in their heart, the bitterness has taken root, and they despise those who love them most, they miss out on blessing and only receive a barren life. Now, in Michael's case, this was manifested physically. She had no children, but that may not be the case for you individually or me individually today, but there is a barrenness that comes from the bitterness of skepticism and cynicism. God longs to pour out blessing upon blessing, here a little, there a little, precept upon precept, from level to level, glory to glory. He's got new heights for your faith. And sometimes because we become so focused on what's wrong with life that we shortchange ourselves and miss out on so many blessings. I work for a Bible college. There are no critical people there. It's amazing. I've, I've, I mean, it is wild. I haven't met one critical person. I mean, when people preach, everybody's just like, wow, that was a great word. When people sing, that man, whew, how many of you know I'm being a little bit facetious right here? You want to find some critical people, visit a Bible college. One of the things I try to teach my students is this. Stop picking apart the sermon and just let the Holy Spirit speak. I'll try to tell them like this. I remember there was a guy who came in and he was a guest speaker and he preached and 
A lot of the students, especially some of the upperclassmen, were leveling some pretty harsh criticism towards this person. And I said, guys, careful, reap what you sow. You sow a lot of criticism towards somebody else. You're sowing seeds of criticism. You're going to reap. When you're on the stage, that's what you're going to get. It's amazing. Sterling will tell you. He's fresh out of Bible college. There's no, there's no critics down at Sagu, right? Not one, never. Anybody who's been in a Bible college will know it's a breeding ground for criticism. Because oftentimes young people don't understand the difference between being a critic and healthy critical thought. You see, critics destroy. They don't only destroy the person they're throwing criticism at, but like Michael, they become barren of the blessing. There are levels of blessing that God would love. We see it manifest when Jesus comes to his own town and because of the critics, he was not able to do many mighty works there. Criticism destroys faith and without faith, we're not going to see what we need to see. We need to get a hold of our inner buddy, the elf. We need to figure out, you know what? Who cares what they think? I want to know what he thinks. I want to know that I'm making him happy. Because I'm not living for your words. I'm living for the well done, good and faithful servant. It's not well done, good and faithful royal robes. No, it's well done, good and faithful, humble person, servant. You see, David understood in the presence of God, he's just another man. He disrobed from that which identified him as royal and pointed to the one who was truly magnificent with majesty. How did David overcome this bitter, offensive person? I close with these two applications for us. David responded firstly with truth. It was before the Lord that I danced. I can remember a person going to a mentor of mine and saying, I did not enjoy the worship today. He said, that's fine. We weren't worshiping you. <laughs> you might know if you're not called to be a lead pastor, if that's what first comes out. Uh, I think that guy was more prophetic, apostolic. Um, People don't tend to like prophets. Prophets don't like people. They just say what's on their mind. But David responded with forceful truth. He said, look here. I wasn't dancing for those girls. I wasn't dancing for anybody in that crowd. I was before the Lord. You missed it. You missed it here. You see, oftentimes when critics level a thought towards you, it's not even the truth, and it's okay for you to let them know, you know what, that's, that's not what's happening here. You missed it. You misjudged this situation. Let me tell you what's really going on. It was before the Lord that I danced. It was before the Lord that I worshiped. I will become even more humble than this because he is so high, I can't get low enough. 
He said, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all the house. He appointed me the ruler over this people. He understands that here's the truth of the matter. It doesn't matter what clothes I'm wearing. I know who I am in him. He's the one who called me. It doesn't matter what you say. I could wear a linen ephod. I could wear a different color kind of robe. It doesn't matter what's on the outside. God's looking at my heart. I'll never forget the first time. I was probably just six, maybe seven years old at a local church sitting on the front row in a revival service for the first time in my life that I can remember feeling the manifest presence of Holy Spirit. And I thought to myself, I want to raise my hands. But it was the first time that I'd ever done that, like in sincere worship. And I remember kind of going like this, sitting on the front step of the, of the stage, and I went kind of like this right here. And for me, that was like a big step of faith, that right there, just that. And then, like Peter, who took his eyes off Jesus and onto the waves, I kind of peeked, kind of peeked out of my eyes. And right on the front row were a few of my friends pointing and laughing and making fun of me. And right away, my hand went down. That's a core memory. I re- I'll never forget that. That the laughter and pointing at that age ceased my worship. Who cares what others think about how much you love Jesus. Jesus certainly was willing to be humbled. The Bible says that he clothed himself in the likeness of sinful flesh. He took off his royalty and put on our common. And the Bible is clear. Those who are ashamed of him on earth. He will be ashamed of them. Before his heavenly father and angels. How do you overcome the critic? Know who you are in Christ. Know the truth. And let the truth be your weapon. Secondly and I'll invite my wife to come. And prepare. As she is about to bless us with song. David responded with boldness. He was not going to allow the critic to dampen his love for Jesus. You see, we've been talking about worship, and oftentimes it's stylistic stuff that we become critical of the most. And I have a picture I want to show of Elf here. And uh, it's, it's kind of Buddy the Elf in the mailroom and Buddy the Elf in the choir. And sometimes we think, oh, Pentecost is on the left and Presbyterians on the right. <laughs> and we often think, you know, if, if, if we're really worshiping, we're going to look like we're in the mail room. And others are like, no, that's not how we worship. We worship quietly and methodically and somberly and reflectively. And you want to know something? All of it is biblical. What matters isn't the how and style. What matters is when we leave the sanctuary singing, are we still singing? Are we still worshiping? Are we still loving Jesus? You see, for those of us who would rather be in the choir, we can be really critical of the loud people and say, well, they're just being foolish. They're just being 
they're just being emotional. They're drawing attention to themselves. And then the loud people are criticizing the quiet people, saying, well, they could, they could stand to liven up a little bit. Don't they know Jesus died for them on the cross? And all of a sudden, we're fighting each other and dying on the wrong sword. The sword of criticism will destroy the church. We must rise above it like David and worship with abandon. Would you please stand with me for a moment here? And let's lift our hands for a second. And let's just praise God and don't care what anyone else thinks. Come on, lift your voice with me. Father, we love you in Jesus' name. We worship you. We praise you. We magnify you. We honor you today. You are King of kings. You are Lord of lords. We cast every crown, every trophy, every title down at the feet of Jesus today. And we pray, Lord God, that you would help us to be unashamedly filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, unashamedly anointed to stand for you in this hour. Oh, even though there are many who say there's no reason to praise we declare, yes, there is. We praise you, Lord God, because you are who you are. And you've done what you did, Lord Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. You are good in this place. Come on, continue to worship the Lord as the music begins to play. Come on, keep your hands up and praise him. And let's worship with Pastor Sarah this morning. Yeah. 
head bowed and every eye closed let's pray father in jesus name wait may we be a people of prayer and praise and worship may we be a people who unashamedly declare we are followers of christ that our lives would be an example but also our words would be powerful and anointed would you pray along with me, church family? Say this with me. Heavenly Father, make me bold and courageous in my generation to worship you. Forgive me and help me in those moments where I was weak. Help me to be strong in the future. To speak up when I need to speak up. And to say the truth of your word in Jesus name amen come on let's confidently declare we love Jesus this morning hallelujah 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 what I'd like to do at this time as we close our service out is to say thank you again for allowing my family to minister this morning pastor Ben thank you for this opportunity uh, what an honor it is to be a part of AFA I'd like to ask the gentleman in the sound booth if we could just play that soundtrack quietly in the background. And any of you who may need prayer or time to spend with the Lord, some extra time just to solidify what Holy Spirit has said to you as a result of the preaching and teaching of the Word. These altars are open, and I want to invite you to come. Spend a few moments with Jesus before you leave. God bless you. We love you in Jesus' name. Merry Christmas.